Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. today is we're going to begin a series um, and I'm going to do my best at preaching through uh, one particular book in the Bible, the book of James. And so it's going to deal with so many different issues and things that we deal with in life. Um, how, do I, how do I deal with trials? Um, what is my perspective on suffering? What, what's, God's, uh, what's God's perspective on healing the sick? Um, how do I how do I produce more humility in my life and not walk around with arrogance or just some of the things that we'll deal with as we walk through the book of James. Um, but we're going to get started today in James, the first chapter. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it for me, whether it be a physical Bible or you have it on your phone. I want you to turn with me to James uh, chapter one, verses one through twelve. James chapter one, verses one through twelve. Great crowd this morning. Great crowd this morning. Glad to see that you don't have the summertime blues, that you don't take a break from Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We in James chapter one, I want you to say, Pastor, I got it. All right. James chapter one says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You may be seated. My subject title this morning is wisdom to get through the test. Wisdom to get through the test. Family, God's purpose in creation and redemption was to have a family of people that would be conformed to the image of his son. Our greatest and our primary goal in this journey of faith is for us to be more and more like Jesus. 
With that being God's primary purpose and God being infinite in wisdom and God knowing his children and knowing that we may have a desire to be more like Jesus, God knows the inconsistent and unpredictable nature of his children and that oftentimes we are not in a rush to be like Jesus or we're not willing to do what it takes to be conformed to the image of God. So... God being good, good and good in, uh, uh, in his nature and in his word and his promises, um, God uses what we see in the moment as unpleasant experiences to bring us into this conformity. And those unpleasant experiences that we go through are what we call trials. So when I look through the Bible and I see God dealing with his people, he oftentimes gives them tests to mature their faith. He oftentimes will put his people in unpleasant circumstances to make them more like him. When I look at the book of Genesis and I look at Abraham and God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac on the altar, Abraham responds with great faith and he passes the test. God now sees that he can trust Abraham. But then when I look at the Exodus narrative and I see God's people, Israel, they fail test time and time and time and time again. No matter how many chances God gave them, they continue to fail the test. But then I look at the leader of God's people, Israel, in the Exodus narrative, and I see Moses and I see him bear the burden of leadership. But through it all, he persevered. He stumbled, but he never ceased to believe that at some point God would bring him and his people into the promised land. You see, with Israel, God delivered them from Egypt and then they complained. They were in the wilderness and they were thirsty and hungry. God made provision for them. And once they got provision, they still found a reason to complain and murmur. Once again, they would get themselves in trouble and God would have to deliver them again. And then they would complain. And so throughout the narrative, what we see about Moses is that he gets stronger with every test. And so Moses would say something like this, man, we're getting closer to the promised land. And all I can see is God delivering us from all of this trouble. Israel's response would be this. All we can see is the trouble. We don't see any deliverance. All we see is trouble. And so God's provision for Moses and God's provision for Israel is the same. And so what sets them apart was their heart attitude in the trials. Because our response to trials reveals the condition of our hearts. And so James in this text is faced with trying to change the perspective of Christians who have been scattered from Jerusalem and they are part of the Jerusalem church, but they are going through persecution. And so James is writing to them because in a sense they are poor and they are disenfranchised, they are without, and so their status is that of less than slaves. These Christians are being uh, exploited where they are and so they are facing economic hardship and they are being harassed because they are Christians. And so they are going through it. And James, being a pastor, he seems to be somewhat out of touch with reality. He seems to be ignorant of what the people are going through. And it may appear to you and I that James is a typical pastor who's unaware of the suffering of what his people are going through on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I hear you, pastor. Yeah, I hear you telling me to keep the faith. Yeah, I hear you telling me that things will get better. But all I know is I've been stuck in this situation and it is not changing. And so James seems to be out of touch with reality because James tells them, even though you're going through the trial, here's what I want you to do. I want you to count it all joy. And he is encouraging them to rejoice in the middle of their trials. 
And that does not make sense on the surface. And so it seems that James is out of touch with what his people are going through. But let me tell you something about James. James is not unaware because James just saw one of the disciples by the name of Stephen. He just saw him get stoned to death. James not only saw that, but James saw the Christians being persecuted. And then James saw these people scattered from their home church in Jerusalem. So James is not unfamiliar. But what he does is he levels with the people. He calls them brother and he urges them to put their faith into practice. You don't know you have faith until you've been through something. It's easy to have faith when things are going down easy street. But your faith is not really put to the test until you got to go to a, through a trial. So you got to get yourself in a predicament that's uncomfortable to you and you want to get out of it, but God won't give you no relief. Then we'll see what kind of faith that you really have. It is easy to profess the goodness of God when things are going great. But how many of you can profess the goodness of God when things don't look that good? So that reveals our faith. You don't have faith until you have to use it. And so James tells them to consider it, count it all joy. What he's saying is you need to make a deliberate decision to experience joy even in the midst of what you're going through. And so here's what a trial is. A trial, I want you to hear this. A trial is to put someone or something to the test with the purpose of discovering that person's nature or that thing's quality. And so your trial is put in your life to discover what you're made out of. God wants to see If you really believe what you say, I love Jesus, but do you love him when you don't have any money? I love Jesus, but do you love him when you're lonely? I love Jesus, but do you love him when you lose your job? I love Jesus, but do you love him when the relationship ends and severs? Do you still love him? And that is a a test of our faith. And here's why James is telling them to rejoice over their trials, because our trials have a purpose. If you don't get anything else out of the message today, I want you to take away knowing that no matter what I'm going through, God is using this because my trial has a purpose. There is a reason why I'm going through what I'm going through. My trials have a purpose. And it's not to say that Job, uh, that uh, James says to just rejoice over the trial in itself. You're broken, so you should be happy about it. You got your heart broken, you should be happy about it. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you should rejoice because this is going to teach you a lesson. He's saying you should rejoice because this is going to make you stronger in God. You should rejoice because this is going to make your faith stronger so the next time you go through it, you can stand still and know that if God brought me out before, God will bring me out again. And so that's why he's saying to rejoice in your trials. You got to experience something and testing is just a part of the refining process that we go through as believers. It refines our faith in the trials they produce. They work out perseverance. They make us tough. It produces toughness. It produces staying power. It produces spiritual fortitude. And if I had one diagnosis of this generation is that we can't stick to anything. And as soon as things get tough, as soon as God turns up the heat in the kitchen, we want to run away. We want to get out of it. We want to quit the job. We want to break up in the relationship. We want to walk away. We want to get out of school. We want to do everything except but stay in the midst of the fire. But can I tell you that the fire is where God is turning and burning and refining who you are and adding to your character and adding virtue and value to who you are. God is strengthening your faith in your trial. Don't run out before it's too soon. Because here's the thing. It says that you got to let it have its full effect. Perseverance needs time. 
It needs to run its course. And we should not be the ones to interfere with God's plan for our life if he is using our trials. Oftentimes I think about sports. And uh, I, watch, I watch a lot of ESPN. I'm a typical guy. And so I love when ESPN puts on these 30 for 30 documentaries. I love documentaries. I love to see actual depictions of things that happen in history. And so when I look at um, uh, one of the 30 for 30s that I, that I saw was by this guy um, by the name of um, uh, he was the guy that got um, he got drafted um, before Michael Jordan uh, in the 1986 draft. It's a Sam Bowie. And so Sam Bowie gets drafted. Sam Bowie was a star at the University of Kentucky. He was great. He was one of the top high school basketball players in the country in the early 80s. And so people pegged uh, Sam Bowie to be this next superstar. And so Sam Bowie is balling out of control at Kentucky, but something happened to Sam Bowie. During the middle of one of Sam Bowie's seasons, Sam Bowie goes up for a slam dunk. He dunks the ball, but then he falls down and he gets injured and he hurts his knee. And so Sam has to go through uh, this long process of perseverance. He has to go through rehab and his rehab is taking a long time. But like any typical athlete who is competitive, it is hard to sit on the bench and watch your teammates out there on the court and you can't do anything about it. And so Sam is in a rush to get back on the basketball court. And so before Sam's knee could completely heal, Sam rushes the process and he goes back out there to play. And so once Sam goes back out there to play, Sam's not the same player that he was before. Then the draft comes and they took a chance on on Sam Bowie and they drafted Sam. But what Sam didn't tell him was my knee is not completely healed. You see, he hid his flaw. He hid that his knee was not feeling better and he was not as effective as he used to be. And so Sam Bowie is what people now call a bust. He's a bust because they picked Sam Bowie before Michael Jordan. And we all know the history of Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever live. LeBron fans, Michael Jordan is the greatest player that ever lived. Thank you. End of argument. Close argument. Thank you. Let's put that to rest today. If you don't believe me, ask Steph Curry. Um, but anyway, anyway, Sam is considered a bust. But here's what happened. Sam didn't persevere through the rehab. Sam put himself back on the court before it was too soon. He didn't let rehab work itself out and run his course so that his knee could be strengthened so that he can operate and be, a, and be a ball player at an optimal level. He rushed the process. And what happens sometimes for us as believers, God will put us on the sideline. And because we're impatient and we want to get back in the game, we want to get back in the dating game. What we do is we rush before uh, we're, we're able and have dealt with the issues that we went through before. And so God is like, no, I don't need you to get into anything. I need you to sit still for a season. I'm working on your heart. I'm working on your character. I'm working on your mind. I'm getting you in the right place. But what we, we can't stand to sit on the sideline because we've been seeing all of our friends taking pictures. And so we want to get back in the game because we feeling a little jealous and we know if they made it happen. We know we can make it happen because I'm tired of watching everybody else and they happy and I'm not happy. I'm sitting here on the sideline and I know it was six months ago that I just broke up, but I'm ready to get back in the game again, Lord. And Lord is like, no, I need you to sit back on the sideline because what happen is you haven't been healed from the past and so before you get back in it I need you to be healed from that because you'll get injured again let perseverance have its full effect go through the trial let God do whatever God is doing in your life don't look at it as God is punishing me because God is not punishing you God is refining your character 
God is using your trials to make you more like Jesus because that is the goal. God's goal is not to make you rich. God's goal is to make you more like Christ. That is the goal of your Christianity. And so trials in and of themselves don't make us mature, but the perseverance and the fortitude is what makes us mature. It makes us whole. That means we're functioning in all parts. And so here's the thing about our generation, because we're educated. We are learners. We can read books. We like information. But here's the thing, especially for Christians, we can be strong in knowledge, but weak in life. Strong in knowledge, know the scriptures, can call them out, but life is weak. Life is weak. We don't know how to live. And so then the the question becomes, well, how do I deal with these difficult trials? What am I supposed to do when I'm going through a trial because this trial is tough and I want to get it over with, but I don't want to short circuit the process. So what do I do? Verses five through eight says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And so James is saying this. I know you don't want to admit that you need help, but you need help. So here's what you need to do. You don't need to ask your friends. You need to ask God for wisdom on how to deal with this trial. And here's what wisdom Wisdom is wisdom is the discipline of applying truth to one's life in the light of experience. Wisdom is simply understanding how to live God's way. Wisdom is simply understanding how to live God's way. Proverbs 9 and 10 says this for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so here's what wisdom looks like. Wisdom looks like I'm meditating on the word of God. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm trying to find answers. I want to be able to apply this to my life. But I'm also seeing this, seeing the scriptures. I'm learning. I'm praying. But I'm also observing the world and what I'm going through. Because wisdom is a particular mindset. Wisdom is a way that we view the world through the lens of God to help us see our ups and downs correctly. There is a proper perspective that we need to have as believers on how to deal with the things that we go through. You're not just going through it to go through it. There's a perspective that you need to have. You need to see this through the lens of God. Because here's what wisdom does. Wisdom observes the blessing of obedience, but also the price for disobedience. Wisdom weighs both things. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things. See, some of us, we have a lot of knowledge, but we don't have no wisdom. Here's, here, here's the difference. Somebody buys you a Maserati. And you get in a Maserati. It's nice. I don't know what your Maserati is, but it's a Maserati. It's nice. You like it. It's your favorite color. And you've always wanted one. And now you have it. And you get in it. And you can drive 120 miles an hour. But somebody has put you in the middle of Montana. Now, I would venture to say that nobody in this room has been to the state of Montana. (laughs) All right? But somebody puts you there and you don't have your phone. You know how to drive 120 miles per hour, but you don't know where you're going. See, all you're doing now is you're just driving 120 miles an hour in the wrong direction. So when you have knowledge, you know how to drive really fast. But all you really know how to do is drive fast in the wrong direction. And many of us have what we want. We have the tools. We have the knowledge. But many of us have been driving in the wrong direction faster than we need to to be driving. And wisdom says this. I know I have this Maserati and I know it's a blessing 
and it's everything that I like, but I need to wait until I know where I'm going before I can drive it. Because if I don't, I'm going to end up in the wrong direction faster than I need to get there. Wisdom waits on direction. Wisdom waits on guidance. And so here's the thing about trials. We need to ask the question, how, how, how can I grow in maturity through this trial? Because here's the thing. Trials don't always lead to spiritual growth. And so if a trial is an approach with wisdom, it can produce anger against God. How many times have we been through a trial and we couldn't figure our way out and we get mad at God because he's taking too long? Or we get mad at God because we don't like the situation. And so we need to look at Jesus because we need Jesus in these trials because Jesus is the perfect expression of the wisdom of God. And here's the thing. It says to ask for wisdom because wisdom is not something you and I naturally possess. It is something that belongs to God. You need to ask God for wisdom. And so it says, let us ask God because he gives generously to all without reproach. What that is saying is we need to ask a giving God for wisdom because God will give us the wisdom. He won't hold our past against us. He won't hold the past mistakes against us. He he doesn't care how many times we make the wrong decision or the wrong turns. If we would just come to God in humility and ask him for wisdom, he will give wisdom to no end. Let me make this clear for you. Um, can you bring me my, bring me my wisdom, my jar of wisdom? Bring me my jar of wisdom, please. All right. All right. Um, Brother Jason, come here real quick. Brother Brother Jason, I want you to come up here and stand over here. Um, my brother right here. Come, come up here real quick. All right. I want you to stand in the middle. Back up a little bit. Y'all back up a little bit. Um, um, Brother Dexter, come here. Come here, Brother Dexter. All right. All right. Just stand right there. And this is your life. This is your life. Give Jason his life. Give my brother right there his life. And give Dexter his life. Stand in the middle right there, my brother. All right. So this is the jar of wisdom. And so what happens is we go into situations looking just like this, empty, no wisdom. So Jason is facing a situation about his career, and he's in a job. He's glad he has a job, but he can't stand his job anymore. And so Jason (laughs) has some opportunities but the problem is not all options are good options and that's what's wrong with our generation we got too many options and so options make us unable to make good decisions because we end up getting paralysis by analysis and we can't make a move because we don't know what to do so jason doesn't know but he decides to use wisdom and he asks god and here's what god says i'll do god what am i supposed to do about this this job God says, Jason, if you would just wait for six months, I got something else better for you, but I just need you to wait. Okay, cool. I'll wait, God. All right, I'm waiting, God. He's like, wait, cool. I'm waiting. But I still don't know what direction to go. God says, you want to know what direction to go? Just ask him, God, what direction do you want me to go? If you wait just a little while longer, somebody's going to call you in six months. I just need you to be patient. And when it comes, you're going to be all right. I just need you to prepare in the meantime. So he's like, yeah, so six months, 
Somebody's going to call me, but I'm going to get multiple calls. God says, don't worry about that. I got more wisdom than you can ask for. And so when you get this job, it's going to overflow. You're going to make more money than you've ever made before in your life because this is what God wisdom does. It pours out and it never stops as long as we ask for it. And it keeps pouring out. And my brother like here is like, man, I'm tired of being single. I'm tired of being lonely. He's like, brother, I need you on the sideline just a little bit longer, brother. I need you to keep coming to small groups, brother. I need you to keep coming to church, my brother. I need you to keep praying. I need you to keep fasting. I need you to keep your eyes open. He's like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep fasting. I'm going to keep my eyes open, Lord. What else you want me to do? I want you to just sit tight. I don't need you to do anything. I need you to go and get out of character. I need you to keep your flesh in control. And I'm going to give you everything that you ever desired. She's going to be everything you want. All you need to do is wait because I'm giving you the wisdom. When she comes, you'll know it. Because I've given you the wisdom. All right. So this dude, Dexter, it's like, man, God's like, I don't ran out of little wisdom. Uh, I have much wisdom no more. My wisdom, my wisdom is running out. God don't run out of wisdom. I ran out of wisdom. So that's why you can't always go to your pastor. Sometimes you need to go to God. <laughs> pastor John ain't always going to have the answers to your problems. You need to establish your own relationship with God. Lord, I graduated. Now I don't know what to do. Should I get a job or should I go to grad school? And God is like, I just need you to work for a while. But then I'm going to open up a door. Don't go to school yet. Don't, don't do it yet. Don't do it on your own because I'm going to give you wisdom. And when wisdom says this, you just need to wait for a little while. Wait, because here's what's waiting going to do. Waiting is going to allow me to open up doors and bring you the resources for people to pay for school for you. But if you get out of character, you're going to end up with so much in student loans. But if you would have just waited, I would have poured it out for you and your school would have been paid for. And so here's the thing. When you make decisions outside of God, you do it on your own. But if you ask God for wisdom, God will always fill you up and never leave you empty. God will never leave you dry, but so many of us are dry and make bad decisions because we don't have the manifest wisdom of God because we haven't asked God. And the analogy is this. If you need wisdom, if you need direction, if you need guidance, ask God who gives generously without reproach. God's wisdom is at no end. So if you're in a problem, in a situation or dilemma in your life right now and you don't know what to do, can I suggest to you that all you need to do is ask your God for wisdom and he will pour it out in your life. Somebody help Brother Pastor get a towel up here. I'm suing one of these guys if I slip and fall. And so here's the thing. When you ask for it, you can't doubt. You just got to believe that God is going to do it for you. Because it talks in here about a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And what that means is this. He's always unstable. He's never able to just sit in one place. That person is always restless. There's this instability that clouds over their life and they can't sit still and are never able to settle. And God is like, if you're like that, you can't expect to receive anything from me. But if you're going to receive from me, then you need to wait on my wisdom because I'm doing something in your life. While you wait on me, 
A double-minded man is one who vacillates back and forth. He can't come up with an answer. He can't make a decision. One day he's over here, the next day he's over there. And we can't decide on anything. And that is a reflection of our culture. But God says, if you would just plant your feet and stay rooted and grounded in me, I will bring the answers to you. But when you ask me, you have to have faith that I am a God that loves you more than you love yourself. And I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to leave you hanging. So here's the thing. Wisdom is not a poor, uh, not wisdom, but trials is not a poor problem. Trials is not a rich problem. Trials touch everybody. And oftentimes we tend to think that if I had more money, if I had more resources, if I was born into a better family, if I had a better car, then my life would be better. But can I tell you that just because you have more money does not mean you won't have problems. I would even challenge your thinking to say that if you have more money and you have more resources, that your problems are going to be magnified. That your problems will be bigger than they are right now. Because here's the thing. Think about this. If you struggle with temptation now and you don't have money, how will you struggle with temptation when God fills up your bank account? If you make bad decisions while you're poor, imagine the decisions you will make when you have money. God, give me, give me some more money. No, God, give me some more wisdom to be able to handle the money when it comes. It is not a rich problem or a poor problem. Because here's the thing. You may say, well, man, I just need a little money to fix my issues. If, if I could just get the job that I want, the dream job, and I can, get the, I can run the company, Fortune 500, I can do all of that. But can I tell you that the guy that sits in the skyscraper in the corner office, his temptation doesn't look like yours. His pressure and trials in life don't look like yours. If you made a bad, make a bad decision, you know who pays for it? You do. If he sits in that skyscraper and he's off his, his, his rocker and, and he's having a bad season of life and he's making bad decisions, it doesn't just affect him. It affects the thousands of people that have to go home and feed their families that work for him. And so we tend to look at problems and say, if I had more money, it would fix it. No more wisdom would fix it. It is not a rich and a poor problem because trials come to us all. And here's the thing. It says this blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And I'm closing. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Blessed means to be happy. It is a joy that comes while I'm going through the persecution and while I'm going through the trial. It takes a very mature person in their faith to be able to look at their trials and rejoice because they know that God is working out something greater in their life that they cannot see yet. I don't know where you are. I don't know how strong your faith is today. I don't know what your challenge is or what you're vacillating back and forth over. I don't know what perplexes you in this season of life. I don't know what you don't have. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is this, that that thing, that challenge, that difficult time, that difficult season that you're having, it is working out for a far greater purpose than what you can see now. And so my encouragement to you 
brother, sister, is that you would remain steadfast in that trial. That you would wake up on Monday morning and rejoice in the Lord. That you would wake up Monday morning and say, in spite of what my bank account looks like, I will boast in God. That no matter how lonely I feel, God is enough for me. That no matter how I feel in my mental, no matter how my heart feels or how broken it feels or how weighed down by life I feel, God is still good. And if I would just ask him for wisdom, that he would leave the pressure of life off of my back, that I can cast my cares on him because he cares for me. That God will give me wisdom in this season of my life, how to handle and manage the things that I don't see coming. That is the wisdom of God. Your trials, your testing is not to kill you. It is to produce something in you that you don't even know that you have. It is to make you look more like Jesus. It is so that you can go through this season of your life and look back and say, God, I thank you for doing that for me. That I didn't understand it in that time, in that season, but God, it sure did make me better. God, it sure did make me stronger. God, I appreciate you more now because I saw that your hand was on me all along. But can I tell you this, that even if you feel lonely and you feel like God can't hear you and you feel like God's hand is not on you, that God is there. That God has not left you. That God will never leave you hanging. But that he is a God that is always there and near to his people. Man of God, woman of God. You don't have faith until you got to use it. I know you say, I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. But love is not measured by when things are easy. But love is how you respond in the difficult seasons of life. How do you respond during the crucible of life? When the heat is so hot and the pressure is so heavy... And things, you can't, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going to happen today. You don't know how it's going to turn out. That's when your faith is being built. And you realize that this life ain't about the external stuff anyway. This is about eternity. Let God use your trials to build your character and strengthen your faith. Your prayer tomorrow is, Lord, give me wisdom to get through this test. Give me wisdom to get through this season of my life. And God will pour it out generously. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.